This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. <laughs> Boy! So this episode of 90 for Chill, the podcast, is being recorded by the seat of my pants, meaning that it's just going to be me this week, CM Darth, Russ Stevens, whatever you want to call me. We're just going to go and review a couple of movies I caught over the weekend. Serendipitously, eh, sorry, serendipitously based around the color red. Obviously, one is probably going to be an easy guess. The other one, maybe not. With that one, I do have to issue a disclaimer that I'm going to try tackling, possibly displaying a false sense of knowledge in regards to Asian culture, at least in the West. If I offend anybody by assumptions, let me apologize right away. It's a heck of a movie that we're going to talk about, and a television movie, actually, that we'll talk about. Guess with Disney, technically, the awesome movie might be a television movie. Sorry that we're not in the cinema this week. We look forward to correcting that, but in the meantime, enjoy. Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. Welcome back to 90 for Chill, the podcast. This is your host, Cool Movies Darth. Again, you can find me probably on a lot of apps easier with just Russ Stevens. Still proud to be firsties when it comes to that name. Despite, I really do want to learn about that British music, uh, sorry, British magician. But I digress. You can follow all my movie watching happenings at letterboxd.com slash cndarth. This week, it's, again, dedicated to the color red. Uh, unfortunately, Professor Rosa, or Deep Red, the Argento movie, does not qualify for this uh, episode. I just didn't want to take the time to see how much they really cut off of that movie to make the um, Hatchet Murderers, the Americanized uh, version of that back in the 70s. As I say, it was a serendipitous experience, and my disclaimer earlier... Because, yes, I wanted to tackle Turning Red, the Disney Pixar movie, which has gotten a lot of attention over white men trying to make sense of it, I suppose. Really, I just came to that one because I was looking at the uh, DVD box at work and, oh, 140 minutes. I'm sorry, an hour 40 minutes. So, you know what? Let's go and tackle it. Maybe I can weasel this into a conversation with the poetic critic at some point. And then, just still, it didn't feel like I had a lot of stuff to work with, but as I say, serendipity. I was just uh, trying to chill down on a Saturday night and decided, you know what, I'm going to watch Red Dwarf 13, and it turned out to be a TV movie, Red Dwarf The Promised Land. We have two awesome projects around the color red, as I stated. Pretty obvious, pretty simple, but I think... Both films are a lot of fun, and we'll address Red Dwarf first, because I think that's going to be the one that I'll do the most, that I'm in the need of selling the most. So we'll get to that feature shortly, and thanks again for coming to 90 for Chill, the podcast. Do you think 
become some kind of god. God? You've scarcely mastered human. I'm just a man. A nobody, really. Come on, guys, back me up here. He's a less than nobody. An absolute zero. What have you found, sir? Holy spare disc. What's happening, dudes? We're stranded on this moon in Starbuck Hall. Is there any way to get out? Have you considered opening the door? <laughs> Iron Star, the perfect ship for those crews looking for a project. What's the worst that can happen? I'm making a list. I'm up to ten already. Make that eleven. With the boys from the dwarf. Who wants to die first? If it's okay with everyone, I'd like to go ninth. You remove the emergency parachute to make yourself a puffer jacket. Not just a puffer. I got a pair of mittens out of it too. So we are currently at the 4.45 mark on the podcast. So I am getting a little worried to see if I can go and give you 15 minutes of content about Red Dwarf, the promised land. And I shouldn't be that unconfident, I suppose, because I think I'm going to have to try selling you on the entire series all the way back from its debut in 1988, which still has the primary cast from at least the late 1989 season, season three, all the way up to this television movie that was uh, dropped in 2020. If all else fails to pad the saddle, probably throw on my first uh, poetic critic argument about Pixar Pixar being screwed over by Disney since they're just releasing their stuff to Disney plus. And, you know, truthfully, it's the convenience, I suppose. I mean, I really like being in a movie theater where I have to shut my phone off and just focus on the film. Because, as I've stated many a times on this podcast, a 90-minute movie for me is actually a two-hour affair as I stop, take notes, and what have you. Now, I didn't really take notes during Red Dwarf The Promised Land. I mean, this is my favorite television series. It may not be the best British nerd series that would probably go to space which was written by Simon Pegg Jessica Hines I believe believe is her last name now she wrote it as Jeff Jessica Stevens and directed by Edgar Wright we all know about the Cornetta trilogy and that Edgar Wright just does not miss it kind of disappoints me though that he's very British in the sense that all his movies are over the time limits for my podcast. I mean, come on, even Boyle was able to keep most of his features uh, until he got to the beach, and I guess, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio deserves expansion upon rules must be broken. I don't know if I'd say that in 2000, but I didn't realize what kind of powerhouse DiCaprio would be, so hey, I just thought he was the guy that made every girl talk about Titanic in high school. I digress about that. You know, as I say, check out Space, because that is probably the best show dedicated to nerddom. I mean, Tarantino's willing to do commentary on that DVD, while he won't do full-length commentaries on his own movies. So, just a little curious, a little bit of fun. Well, so, Red Dwarf is a series a space opera essentially or at least seasons three and up would be a space opera the first two seasons were pretty much just a closed set show about a 
man who decided, well, let me back up. The reason why we don't have Red Dwarf in the United States is because Jim Belushi, John, sorry, whoa, blasphemy there. John Belushi is probably the only person who could fit the role of our hero, Dave Lister. David is just your typical, I don't think he's Cockney, but very London slob, you know, focusing on just, well, slobbing about, having a laugh, you know, do a bit of drinking, and to, well, back up, his dream is to go and make enough money so that he can buy a farm on Fiji and raise horses with a sheep and a cow. And we'll, we'll let you sit on that joke. I'm not uh, Craig Charles or Chris Berry. Chris Berry, you probably best know as the manservant to Laura Croft in the Angelina Jolie movies. On one of the journeys on the Red Dwarf, the mining ship, he decides to smuggle a cat onto the board, a cat that is pregnant, and it's found out. So he has a choice. Give up the cat, who's going to be put down, probably, if not vivisected, definitely dissected, or give, just surrender to 18 months of suspended animation, where basically he forfeits his wages for the rest of the trip. What happens during his time as Stasis is that his roommate, the insufferable Arnold Rimmer, fails to repair a drive plate, which results in a radiation leak that vaporizes the entire crew, who is not in suspended animation. And if you're thinking about the cats, they are hidden in the hull of the ship so they don't get affected to by the radiation. The ship computer, Holly, decides to let Lister out once the radiation levels are safe. The ship just staying on the same course, which is just to the other side of the universe, I suppose. Regardless, radiation levels aren't safe until 3 million years in the future. Lister is essentially the last human alive. And by season 7, they figure a way to at least keep humanity going, but it's in a loop. Ouroboros, the snake eating its own tail. You gotta watch the series before I just let those little details go out. But Lister is making his best of the situation. He's accompanied by his dead roommate who's been turned into a hologram. And the ancestor, the descendant of the cat that he hid. And this is where the promised land picks up. The cats have become human, essentially. Felis sapiens is what they're called. Very vain animals for the most part, except those who are loyal followers of Cloyster. Cloyster being the person who sacrificed himself so that his cat would live and hence created the entire society. Thus, David Lister is a god. The cats, half of them have gone feral, it seems, or at least the feral bunch has taken control of the society and are doing their best to prune all of the true believers. After a situation where they tried to bring back the ship computer based on its factory backup disk, 
it turns out that, well, there's nobody left on the crew officially. Rimmer is dead, the cat was never a crew member, and Lister forfeited his membership when he went to suspended animation. There's also a fourth character, Crichton the Robot, who they picked up in the second season, who became a main character in the third season, who is a cleaning robot who Lister has helped break of his programming. So essentially, once the crew of the Red Dwarf, who have to run from the ship that's going to be decommissioned, since there's nobody to operate it, they run into the three escape religious uh, followers of Lister. That would be Sol, Luna, and Peanut. And they find that these cats hold something valuable to the Feral King, which is the Anubis Stone, which apparently is just polished beetle dung, but obviously there's got to be a secret to it. And if you know your Egyptian mythology, it makes sense. Again, I don't want to give too much away. So needless to say, it's Lister and the crew are trying to save the cat society and trying to break it down that or break it to them easily that Lister is not a god. Lister can't bring himself to do it. Crichton is too enamored with everything Lister has done for him. So he's essentially a re- number, another religious follower. And the cat is easily converted. So it's up to Arnold Rimmer to try figuring out how to get this burden off of Lister. In the meantime, of course, they got to fight off those cats. So it's a lot of cheap humor in all honesty, but so it could have been a great half hour episode, but it's well written enough. The direction's fine. The effects are good. The only thing I could really fault for it is that it has a studio audience or more than likely a laugh track attached to it. This is a feature length movie and probably should be treated as such. And I think there were a bunch of seasons where they didn't really have the laugh track, or I think those seasons were a little more dramatic. So it's kind of like, I guess, the conception, or not the conception, the perception of Seth MacFarlane's The Orville. I think we all came to it thinking that it was just going to be a Star Trek parody, and it turns out to be its own sci-fi thing. So the comedy seems to be secondary, but I haven't watched The Orville I just know my parents like it, and I don't think my mom really knows Seth MacFarlane's politics, so don't tell her about this episode, I suppose. All the acting is as solid as you can expect for primarily comic performers. Um, The probably most successful actor, at least from an American standpoint in this feature, would actually be... Uh, Danny John Jules, who plays Cat, the extremely vain creature that's accompanied David Rimmer and Crichton for the last darn near 30 years as they bring up at one point. That is a joke, actually. Again, don't want to spoil it, but we find out 
that Cat is actually the younger brother of the Feral King. And this is the kind of humor, the simple humor, especially for a cat lover like myself. The king basically says, that's my brother. Oh, yes, sir. We've gone and verified it. But he's so much older than me. And the cat responds, well, yeah, I almost had to do actual work. So there is that feature. We have a great opening as in how they usually do Red Dwarf with Crichton trying to solve the issue of Lister being the last human suggesting well we have a new medical unit we could give the cat a sex change and then voila and this soon breaks down into who would actually be a better woman and we have the entire angle of Rimmer who's so desperate to achieve things he ends up letting his new letting the new technology of the cats people that have um, developed over three million years create him a new what they call light be light projector well it allows him to be both solid and i guess you wouldn't say liquid but basically he can he's no longer just light he can become solid matter and he can transfer anything he touches into light instead of solid matter, allowing him to walk through walls and everything. Well, that basically fries his battery, so he's stuck trying to find outlets to make sure he doesn't shut off. So there's another angle like that. And, you know, it's just fun seeing the three cats ask philosophical questions like, okay, why didn't you fix this? Why haven't you done this and male genitalia did you just give up by that point if you're looking for i'm a huge fan of the movie ice pirates maybe not a huge fan but i liked ice pirates it was actually something i grew up with if you're looking for a movie like ice pirates or i'm gonna walk tread lightly but space balls with a more solid narrative Red Dwarf the Promised Land is for you and I think it only cost me maybe I don't think I paid more than $13 for it on iTunes probably less because again it's just really one episode just 90 minutes so I guess that's kind of like picking up an individual episode of Sherlock so enough with that we'll go on to what's probably getting the most attention right now turning red and i will be back with you shortly may may breakfast is ready coming it's gonna be me Is everything okay? I'm a gross red monster! Don't look at me! Stay back! This happened already? What did you say? Our ancestors had a mystical connection with red pandas. Are you kidding me? This little quirk runs in our family! 
sick. I've always wanted a tail. I'm a freak. We love you, May. You're our girl. <sighs> Whoa. You're you. Any strong emotion yes! will release the panda. Abby, hit me. Do you know how dangerous this is? You'll get whipped up into a frenzy and panda all over. And this podcast is keeping it in the Commonwealth. We're going from a British space series to a film set in Canada. Toronto is if you need more specifics. And that would be Turning Red, a story about 13-year-old uh, Mei Mei Lin, whose parents operate the oldest temple in Toronto. And the person it pays tribute to Sun Yi I believe that's how you pronounce it again I warned you I'm probably going to offend somebody with my lack of Asian knowledge and perhaps the authority I sense from watching a lot of anime studying Taekwondo taking two years of Mandarin I mean if anybody's allowed to screw up they should actually have an Asian person next to him like I guess how the relationship between Mei Mei's father and mother. It's definitely a dominated by the mother. And, you know, if you're not the primary breadwinner, I suppose that's how it's going to be. But I digress. Mei Mei is 13 and is just excited to see the biggest boy band of the era four town which is weird because there's five of them but you know what i spoiled a joke there and her friends want to go and see this band play so they're trying to figure out how to do that but in the meantime after a stressful situation where the dominating mom sees maymay drawing a teenage clerk at the local you know I'm going to refer to yoga hosers little Kevin Smith love there um, A to Z shop she's got a stressed out night and when she wakes up she is a giant red panda which I'm sorry let me back up that's what the temple is dedicated to someone who served and basically worshiped the red panda and this stems from the ancestor wanting to make sure to protect her village after all the men left for war so she was granted the power to become a giant red panda to defend her town so while maybe wants to go and see the concert the family is dedicated to trapping the red panda spirit so that she can just live a normal life, be mom's perfect little child. So this is a story really about a adolescent finally realizing that you can't be everything to your parents. And it's a lot of learning experience around that. 
But the main thing about the panda is once she's figured out how to remain zen to prevent strong emotions from unleashing the panda, she decides to basically make herself the high school celebrity so that they can earn money to go see Four Town at the Sky Dome. Basically, she's a mascot, a photo opportunity. You get the charge, even rent for parties. She just turns into her fluffy self, and fortunately her friends just dig the fact they got a panda to hang out with. She's fluffy, they are envious of the tail, and then of course, you know, little feralness, the viciousness that can come with being a wild animal might pay benefits. So that is the story of Turning Red and let me finally get to my notes so we can have a more concise conversation. So this is a better movie than Red Dwarf The Promised Land. We're just sorry to let fandom interfere with perspective. So, I mean, this really, for a guy who's gone to Chinatown in Chicago a few times trying to get himself acquainted with the culture, um, I really think they do a great job of a Western Chinese town, basically. And I appreciate that in this Pixar film, there's a lot of uh, Asian animation influence, and it makes it look unique. Um, I think it's a little lighter color, a little pastel, so it's a little unique in that element. It's kind of like when you look at Coco being dark. Um, of course, it's dealing with the land of the dead. but um, And then you have moments like dream sequences, the entire ritual of de-pandifying Mei Mei. Uh, gives you some great, like, still lets you know Pixar is still trying to do new things. Um and for a guy who just you know what maybe I'm a little burned out on Americana I just love all the Canadian stuff I you know I watched Red Green as I waited for new episodes of Red Dwarf back on PBS so you know when I hear the word toque be thrown around we're gonna take these people for all the loonies like yeah that's my kind of humor I like the so I dig the Canadian influence um, let me go through here and I especially like the message of growing up like it's nuts that there are people critics who say this isn't something that a white man can relate to and it's like okay good thing your parents sent you to college to be a film school what have you um let you follow your dream and I'm not saying my parents didn't they let me go out there and you know wanted me to learn that it's going to ha not happen <laughs> sorry it's um you get a little bitter little sister you'll hear things perceptions but um my parents and my my relationship with my parents at least through high school like as I've stated on this podcast before biggest thing i was looking forward to in high school aside from wrestling was beating up everybody who bullied the poetic critic you know i got over that 
and I just was going to do what mom and dad said you're supposed to do to grow up. So instead of trying to apply to a bunch of colleges, I applied to the U of I in the field that I love, which is computers, didn't get accepted. I went to ICC, Illinois Central College in East Peoria, hated it because it's basically high school all over again when every fifth person is somebody you went to high school with and you didn't like anybody at high school. So um, I did what they... I didn't really get to grow up until I met Stacia Harden and, you know, realized cool people and that's why this podcast is dedicated to her memory and we'll have an excellent episode I promise for May 4th next year happy birthday to you Stacia and thanks again for watching over my butt and I have a theory that you um, control my cats I mean they have their own free will it's kind of like you're a puppeteer like come on Somebody's got to discipline them. And I guess we don't have David Lister around. <laughs> I'm bringing it back. So, but yeah. Basically, I didn't know how to grow up or I didn't know how to be what my parents, anything but what my parents wanted me to be until I flunked out of ICC's computer science program. So... And you just have to figure out who you are. And it would have been nice, I think, if I would have gotten an extra uh, three years. But I don't know. I That's that's my own head trip. But that, that makes it a movie that offers an experience that I think everybody has. I mean, if you have good parents, I should say... Um, if you have good parents, they're going to you're going to want to please them. Uh, and I think after watching a lot of stuff like uh, King of California a couple weeks ago, you're kind of set by that by default, but you just don't realize that they might not know what's best for you. They're out there to keep you alive. At least that's my relationship with my parents, my dad wanted to make sure we experienced everything and my mom supported my dad in that and so again don't let mom listen to this episode especially after my second Harlan joke um and again talking about serendipity there's an excellent scene with cats it's a test to see if her emotions are in check she passed the test she passed the kitten box and uh, I don't know. I hate to say it because I love Studio Ghibli's cats, but. And I guess I'd say. Um, not Satoshi Khan. Uh, Makoto Shinkai's cats. Especially the little one from Weathering With You. Uh, maybe CG is the way to go. I'm ready for. Um, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. So. Hey, something's getting me out to the movie theaters. And yeah, it's furry little it's furry little cats as Skimble is attacking my leg as we record this. Just checking my notes again. Um, and let's see, like the message, relatable, close sense, and 
you know, other things I could say about this movie. It's the ultimate movie by the end of it about that, especially topical now. It's the ultimate my body, my choice movie. And no, it doesn't say it like that. It's my panda, my life, what what have you. Um, and, you know, you get fun stuff in this feature. Like, um, eventually we get a kaiju battle. And I joked around with the poetic critic when we were talking about this because another critic trying to shoot down this movie. This movie takes place in 2002 in Toronto, not America, not New York, not Los Angeles. Some critic goes out there and says, why are they not even referencing 9-11 just a year out? It's like, one, it's not a year out, six months out. Sorry, obsessive compulsive. Um, what it, but it, it's a Toronto, it's a Canadian experience. You know, how many, like, I don't know, 9-11 may have been a blessing for them because now all these stupid Yanks have to get passports to get in. It's not like when, you know, like I have family up in Buffalo who do not have passports because, you know what, it didn't take them a minute to just drive over to Canada to get the good beer, you know, the cheap the bats, yeah. And now I've just offended Canadians with that, but I digress. Um, you know, it's not, it might not be an American experience. And, you know, Pete, I think that critic, if Rory was saying it right, was like, you know, they let this, after 9-11, you let Skydome fall apart. And yes, they're going to um, rebuild Skydome is what they imply in the movie. But I, at least my vibe Skydome was a, or the Rogers Center, I believe now, is like the premier multi-purpose stadium, which as a baseball fan, you just grew to hate. And yeah, the Leafs, you know, I think the, not the Leafs, sorry to offend my hockey fans out there. Um, the Blue Jays, I don't think they... Uh, can sell that bugger out any longer. You can blame the strike for that. I'm not blaming the citizens of Toronto. Um, and I know the Argonauts don't feel that fill that place. I don't even know if the Argonauts still play there. So I don't really think any Canadian would be crying about Sky Dome falling apart. I mean, what? In this feature, I guess you would say if Sky Dome was demolished... Well, WrestleMania would have happened a month before it in this film. So, there you go. So, yeah. Um, I think I covered when I was talking about Cats. But it's it's a larger feel. Because I think it goes to the story. And this is where I worry about my sense of knowing Asian f- movies and such. Because I was, like, thought there's a lot of Studio Ghibli vibes to it. So, um, and I guess if you watch enough, uh, cinema, I mean, you know, old boy was a, uh, manga in Japan, which got adapted by the Koreans into the movie that it became. So I think there is a little bit of cross culture there. And I think, uh, especially with the characters speaking, speaking Cantonese compared to opposed to Mandarin that. You have the Hong Kong 
Taiwan influence um, or just the you know capitalism the that they once had the freedom of knowing other cultures not just the uh, communist uh, people's republic and so but I don't know I would figure well we're getting into a messy thing I know the Chinese still don't like the Japanese and at least that comes from the national standpoint I mean look what happened to Oren East not yeah Oren Ishii from Kill Bill you know um but I guess I just love that everything vibes together and I hope it's just that's Asian culture at least Western Asian culture just knowing to AAAP um I'm sorry AAPI Asian American Pacific Islander Cultural Awareness Month I guess is what I'm going for and um I think that the uh yeah I I I just hope that it's a cultures in the west just like to share with each other instead of John Lasseter's lasting influence that he brought Studio Ghibli to the States and then he got outed in Me Too. So I've said it. Um, and another thing I enjoyed, at least for me, is I watch enough uh, Asian influenced American projects like uh, Nora from Queens or, gosh, I mean, James Hong does a voice in it. He's awesome. You probably know him be- best as uh, Lo Pan from Big Trouble in Little China or uh, Tia Cara- Cassandra's dad in Wayne's World 2. Um, he's also been in movies like Safe uh, with Jason Statham, Ninja 3, The Domination. I mean, he's it's just fun to see him. And, like, you know, oh, that's the um, grandma's played by the leader of the one of the leaders of the hand from the defenders slash daredevil slash iron fist and um you know what i will just say this is a bd wrong away from perfection that's all this movie's missing and another thing i'll give it credit for is that there is a spoiler scene not a spoiler a stinger um an end credit scene but it still fits it in 100 and sorry 100 minutes yeah that's it an hour 40 it does not pass an hour 40 so that's great time management and kind of makes me wonder how much movie there is because again with computers there's a lot more credits to give out so but it fits and it's kind of rare now i think especially with disney because after Marvel, they're just dependent on putting little stingers, something to make you sit through the credits to catch. And are you going to miss anything with this stinger? Not really, but um, hey, it's there. So, you know, you get more than uh, this movie gives you more than a more, um, you know, gives you everything 90 for chill is about, I suppose. So, um if i just have one more thing to say it's gosh is monotheism boring i mean i don't really know or maybe 
it's because Sunday school sucked when it came to teaching the Bible, at least in Methodist. Um, and I say that because we picked, always picked out a different story from the Old Testament to work on from, you know, beginning of Sunday school in September all the way to October to, sorry, all the way to December when then we start getting into the story of Jesus being born. Christmas. Yay. And then from Christmas all the way to the end of Sunday school, well, I think we all checked out after Easter, I suppose, because we really don't get, um, I think once or twice we found out how they crucified other disciples, but I'm just saying we don't get the magic and mythicism in Christianity. I mean, at least Jews had the golem, and I don't know enough about uh, Islam, but you know, it's still something in uh, the East where you still have, like Shintoism, where you have gods and of different things. And I find that kind of cool. It, it, I don't know how we, uh, how we ended up with Christianity when it's so boring just to have a god. You know what? I like the characters. I like the characters that um, other religions offer. It makes more sense. It makes it more human. Why do we need one boss, I guess, is what God is? You know, just let him be voiced by Alec Baldwin. It seems more appropriate than Morgan freaking Freeman. <laughs> so, all right. With all that said, Turning Red is one of the best animated movies I think I've seen, at least American-wise. Whew since Coco, which means I probably have not seen enough American movies in the meantime. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is in my digital collection. I will get around to watching that. I guess that's what I gotta open next episode with, I suppose. Which will be a nice change from just doing my disclaimers. So, uh, with all that said, thanks again for coming to 90 for Chill the podcast. Um, we have some big plans coming at the end of the May for the uh, show. Um, but, you know what? If you listen to this on Tuesday, I would love to record a podcast with you before next Monday. And you can do that. You can get on the show by offering me a theme, a director, an actor, or just one movie. As long as we focus on sub-100 minute material, and I'm not including end credits unless there is a stinger. We can come up with some podcast golds. Just send an email to rustthebus07 at gmail.com. That's R-U-S-S-T-H-E-B-U-S-07 at gmail.com. Or you can uh, find me on Twitter. The handle is at catbusrus, at C-A-T-B-U-S-R-U-S-S. And if you want to help the podcast the least, you can do is rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast apps, preferably five-star reviews. I will do my best to return that if you are a fellow podcaster. It's all about the algorithm, baby. Maybe we can do an updated Weird Al version of Pentiums, I suppose. Something to do in my free time, I suppose. Free time, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, if you want to talk trash about the podcast, since I told you to give you five-star reviews, go and do that at Cat Bus Russ. It's more fun than dealing with uh, conservatives who are deciding to take look at uh, pictures of me whenever I talk about, uh, you know, you're being a coward if you own a gun. I'm not going to back off on that one. Uh, 
Um, I should say you're definitely a coward if you own a handgun. My opinion. Um, Because, look, if I get the drop on you with a gun, you're just hoping for me to screw up before you can fire a round. So, all right. That kind of attitude got me fired from Marine Bank or... The bitch who sat next to me got me fired from Marine Bank, regardless. So thanks again for coming to 90 for Chill, the podcast. Uh, I hope to be talking to some of you soon. And as always, thanks, thanks Stacia, for keeping an eye on me and everyone else you touched in your life. Thanks again for all your support and have yourselves a good week. Can I hear a wahoo?